0: welcome to another edition of the Chip and Gary tennis show uh, you know one of the things that I've noticed playing I guess I'm in my 58th year playing and uh, one of the things about tennis is that I still have a great passion for it and so I really appreciate when I see that passion in other tennis players um, and uh the thing about tennis also is it cuts across every cultural line, it seems like. You know, it doesn't matter if you're black, you're white, you're poor or rich, once you get on the tennis court, it's a great equalizer. Because um, I've played some of the richest people in the world in tennis, and I've played people that couldn't rub two cents together, and, and there's just a common bond that tennis players have. And it's very interesting, I was uh, with one of these common bond people, which was a Puerto Rican named Drew, and Drew was a great player in Puerto Rico in the juniors, along with Freddy De Jesus and Francisco Gonzalez and a lot of guys we played with, and I didn't really meet Drew until I started teaching over in Delray Beach, uh, near where my daughter lives, and and uh, we played doubles quite a bit and Drew being the traditionalist he is still uses a wood racket And so I gave him a couple of wood rackets out of my collection and he will not play and doesn't play as well as he does with this wood racket he really plays well with it and um, so I I came over to see him when I was uh, given a tennis exhibition over there and after I would got done at one of the clubs in Boca I came over and I was tired and sore and I was in my flip flops and felt pretty good and looking for Drew and, and this fellow comes in and he, he walks through the door, he's got about six or six rackets, Babylon rackets in his bag and he's got a cut off t-shirt like Nadal but he's not 29 like Nadal, he's more like me or not as old as me. But I said, "Wow, well, there's a guy that likes his tennis," and I instantly recognized him from seeing him on Facebook when I was in Kentucky. And somehow a Florida guy got on Facebook with some videos or some pictures, and I said, and he was getting ready to go out to a match and uh, out there on the Patch Reef courts, which was a, a park in Boca Raton that's just absolutely beautiful and a great tennis facility that I just discovered prior to that. And uh, I said, look at that turkey going out there. He's ready for his match. He's putting lining his rackets up. I said, I'm going to go out in my flip-flops, and I'm going to just show this guy what a turkey he is. And uh, I got out there, and his buddy was hem and haw and had to go to the bathroom and do some stuff. I said, hey, Mango, because they called him Mango. I said, I'll play you a tiebreaker. And he said, all right, get out here. So I took a racket, went out there. And I was hitting the ball pretty crisp he you know I didn't we didn't warm up we just went ahead and played and uh boy I tell you what I missed every shot by about two, two three, four inches everything felt good but was just a little bit off and he took me seven one in the tiebreaker and we came up and shook hands and he said that's all right next time you'll probably get three points and as a tennis player, you remember things like that but um, that's one of the thing great things about tennis is you're always meeting different people from different walks of life and I don't I did not know what uh, Michael Mann did before he was on the tennis court in his prior life but uh, couple people some one person my friend he told me well he's one of been one of the, the greatest criminal defense lawyers in South Florida for many years and uh, but what he what Michael wanted to do is he want he wanted to play tennis and he was he just dispatched to me and got ready for his match and I don't think we've seen each other since but Michael welcome to the show and I want a rematch you can have a rematch anytime you want guys <laughs> Mike anytime I'm ready Michael, tell tell me a little bit before tennis, how what you, where you grew up and, and, and how you got involved in your work vocation, and then when you got involved in tennis, in a short synopsis. My pleasure. Everything you said was accurate, except I practiced law in Atlanta, Georgia, not in South Florida. Simply, ah. I grew up. No problem. I grew up in Long Island. Nice Jewish kid. Went to Emory University undergrad. Then was that the now hold up? Was that the North Shore or the South Shore?
1: I grew up in basically East Meadow, which is right in the middle of Long Island, not affluent, just middle, upper class. Mm Jewish kid, just, you know, not not with a lot, but not with wanting for much, and studied hard in high school, got into Emory, went there for four years, studied poli-sci, blah, blah, went to law school at Boston University, passed the bar, practiced in New York for two years for a big firm, and that was when I first came to the realization that if you're
0: not happy, life is not what it's all cracked up to be, so I was
1: 25 years old, I just, gone to college, law school, passed the bar practicing law in New York City for a big firm and about six months into it when all the glare burned away and I realized that this is not fun this is not enjoyable, I'm not happy I did it for another year I spoke to my father and I just told him I wasn't happy and he said, just don't do it anymore. Don't do something you just don't like doing it. Don't get stuck in that rut. So I stopped practicing in New York, went back down to Georgia, took the Georgia bar when I was 27 past that and started practicing by myself as sole practitioner in Atlanta, doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that, picked criminal defense because I really felt like I was meant to do it. Did it for 25 years, tried 35 murder cases, over 4200 cases 100 murder cases in total and i just got to the point where at 50 years old i wasn't happy either i was going to court every day and going to jail and visiting clients and just it became miserable and
0: not enjoyable what kind of shape were you in compared to that i I mean six two but yeah. I weighed at the top of my scale I weighed two hundred and sixty two pounds. So, I was a big boy. So I you were not working of, you were not playing any tennis at that point? Not playing any tennis for twenty five years. And the time I started practicing law
1: up to twenty to fifty, I didn't play any tennis. I didn't do anything. I didn't do one setup. <laughs> just kept eating and you know, not gorging but you gained two pounds a year from eating steak and potatoes and eating what you want and uh-huh. satisfying yourself with food two pounds a year for 25 years this is 50 pounds and there I was weighing 260 pounds wearing size 42 waist clothing and just unhappy person and you know everybody thought I was the top of the world because I was big lawyer, but it was miserable. Every day was miserable. And I just, I'm not doing this anymore. I just remember, my father passed away and I remember what he said about being unhappy with what you're
0: doing. Was he an and attorney that, as well? He was not. He was a life insurance agent. So he wanted me to be a
1: lawyer. So I did. And he said it'd be great. And, you know, it was for a certain period of time, but practicing law, especially criminal defense is grueling on a person and it's just it got to the point where you could say burned me out but just it just got to be miserable and I just didn't you know my dad died at 62 my grandfather died at 64 so I knew I wasn't going to live to 175 I was 50 years old and I'm like this I don't want to just die at my desk of a heart attack at age 62 so I just stopped Now I just gave up the practice moved down to Boca where my mother lived had no plan and just resettled myself and that was me. I moved to Boca five years ago at two hundred and sixty pounds. Now two hundred and
0: sixty pounds you moved to Boca and you'd still had not picked up a tennis racket at that time. Correct. Point. Correct. Uh, during this span of to break my right arm <laughs> falling <laughs> so I had a broken right arm with two, with two rods in it that I still have and
1: you know furthest thing in my mind was playing tennis there were actually in, and I, I look back at this because I play like three times a day now no exaggeration and I'm always looking for courts and looking for a place to play and I where I lived for the last 13 years in Atlanta a place called Roswell there was a community I lived in that had tennis courts and for 13 years I lived there not one time did I ever go on a tennis court there because it just wasn't something I was thinking about doing. You think about your clients, you're overweight, you're not exercising. I didn't even know if I could hit a tennis ball with
0: my arm. So I, I didn't do it. Probably the largest uh, concentration of tennis players in the world is in Roswell and Marietta, Georgia, where, where he was living and never picked up a racket. Well, and so what happened when you got down here? You didn't have a plan, you weren't working, or were you doing some law, a little no, bit I, of law? I wasn't working.
1: Practicing law, I was depressed. You know, it's all part of the same vicious cycle of not being happy in your life and being overweight and just not enjoying your days. So I got down here and I just decided to just put my head together and just not think about my clients. I literally got rid of my cell phone for six months and I came up with a plan on what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And while I was doing that, I said. You know, I'm just going to start losing weight. That was my first start. Okay, I'm going to start losing weight. So I just started eating vegetables and fruit and chicken and eating healthy and then I started to go out a little bit more and I joined a gym and as I was driving home from the gym about one, one time this is probably about four and a half years ago there were tennis courts in my neighborhood and I just was driving past them there were people playing tennis and I just made a right turn and I parked my car and I walked up to the tennis courts and I still tell the story it's like this line from Animal House where the guy walked up to these guys playing cards and say, "Hey, you guys playing cards?" And it was like, "I'm like, hey, you guys playing tennis?"
0: And they're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Can I play?" They're like, "Sure." And I like went home. I'm like, "Mom, do you have a tennis racket?" And I grabbed my father's old tennis racket. It was an old um, that Arthur Ashe racket. And oh, the I competition! Out yep, the yep. the, the I oh wow. Out there, uh, and I didn't even know if it would hurt on my arm.
1: I, I knew, didn't know if I hit it like explode but someone hit me the ball and I hit it back and it didn't hurt and I'm like wow and I played for like five minutes and they said wait we have a clinic on Saturday for beginners and I'm like I'll be there and all of a sudden I had something to do and I look forward to it and I went to the clinic and I did that and I loved it and then after an hour and a half of the clinic I was getting better I could actually hit the ball over the net to the person I was aiming to and it was just so relaxing and enjoyable playing I just felt so at, at home on the tennis court there was just something that. Magnetized me with. It was like being in a courtroom. I just felt like for those years when I was practicing, well, like in the courtroom was the, was the place that I was meant to be. And now, when I was on the tennis court, I just felt happy. The sun was out and the palm trees were out, and it was just you and the ball and your opponent, and just I felt so good. And I just came home feeling so good and looking forward to the next clinic. And then I just played, and then about two months after that, I started to go to Patch Reef and hit balls up against the wall, and that's where I really started to lose weight, I was hitting balls up against the wall with my headphones on, middle of July, 97 degrees, and I would just go out there and hit balls up against the wall, and tennis is just one of those sports where if you hit your 500th ball, you're obviously going to hit it better your 5,000th ball than your 50,000th ball, And I just figured it out, how to hit a good ball. A good back a good forehand i just figured it out and paid attention to it and then started watching videos and watching players play and just fell in love with it and i played my first competitive, if you want to call it, three o match at Patrice in that little intermediate ladder and I like learned how to serve and I just loved playing and I played in that three o ladder and the second time out, I won it and I just won it by running around and chasing after balls and hitting over the net and not really knowing what I'm doing and then I started taking lessons with different pros here in Boca and just fell in love with the sport. You know, and that's...
0: Now, Go ahead. And
1: now here I am, number four in the state
0: in the four O's. Well, wow. you know that that just goes to show you something. Uh, you can you can hear the passion in this man's voice when he talks about tennis, and uh, and and just how uplifting it is. I mean. There was a study that just came out that said that tennis players live longer than any other sport people that play tennis and, and I you know it, it it astounds me because I'm not in the gym every day and working out but it doesn't matter if, you know if I haven't played tennis for a week, two weeks and I go out and play three sets of doubles like I did in the last week twice I'm not tired at the end of those three sets stamina wise my legs will feel it some but but stamina wise the fact that i've played tennis for all those years uh it it gives you it, it just gives you an edge up on health and i don't take any meds and and i i attribute a lot of that to just never stopping playing tennis you know there's so many good tennis players when they were young, and we all grew up very young and played tennis for a long time, and when there wasn't enough money, if you weren't going to be in the top ten in the world to to go on and find other things to do, we did that, and I remember um, uh, people that watched me in housing and stuff said, you know, that had jobs or they were lawyers and doctors, and it really appealed to us, you know, because we said, wow, those people are making some money and uh, that would be nice. And and they would tell me the same thing every time, play tennis as long as you can. That was some of the best advice I got because I got to go travel in in Europe and eventually play in front of the Princess Grace in Monaco and had a lot of great thrills. But here's a man that didn't play tennis, became a great lawyer for all those years and uh, doing the tough work in law where you're actually in the courtroom. And, uh, and, and and it's interesting that he never struck a tennis ball, and now it's like a reversal. You know, he's got a second life because of tennis. And did you say you went from almost 250 down to where you are now? Because that-
1: I am currently, this morning I weigh 197 pounds the first year and a half and then i lost about five or ten pounds a year um since and now i stay at like 197 to 200 and i eat healthy when you start playing sports especially tennis you want to be in shape so you after you play two hours of tennis sweating you don't want to go have a cheeseburger you want to reward yourself and your body requires nutrients so you want to eat salads and eat healthy and stay thin and stay in good shape. It's a cycle that's the opposite of a vicious cycle. It's a great cycle. Once you're doing activities, now you want to reward and stay thin and get thinner and get in better shape. And it just became just my lifestyle. Just It's really just a lifestyle of eating healthy and staying in good shape and people you meet playing tennis I think this study that did come out that you're talking about it talks almost as much about the social interaction with the people that are tennis players and how you're in groups and you're with people who are doing good things and healthy things and trying Uh athletics and Mm -hmm. playing a gentlemanly sport you're with around good people doing good things healthy people and tennis players are just great people I know that sounds like a generalization a broad generalization but tennis people are just good people People. They, if you have a doubles match with four guys at three o'clock on a Saturday, and you make it on a Wednesday, you can bet your bottom dollar that all four of those guys are going to be there five minutes early, ready to play. Mm-hmm.
0: No one's going to be late.
1: Mm-hmm. No, you know, they're just the kind of people that they are. And it's just a gentleman's sport, and it's just fun to be out there. And it's it's not only good for you aerobically and keeps in good shape but it, it keeps you wanting to be around people which is a very important part of wanting to live a long life and living a
0: long life that's really interesting that you say that uh, there's a uh, a great tennis player that's a friend of ours john falbo f-a-l-b-o and he he and andre agassi won the 18 and under national doubles and he was there with sampras and chang and, and i mean right there with them uh, talent wise and I think he was tipping the scales at about 275 a few years ago, and and now he is fit. You see on uh, on uh, Facebook where he's he's in there drilling, and he shows himself drilling. And he looks about 165 pounds because he's not a big guy. And I, I told him I said John, what what is what is the big difference? I mean you were you got so big, and you were such a great athlete, and you got back down. And he said he said the thing about it is Gary that. Uh, it doesn't matter how well you train if if your nutrition is not right. It's it's not going to matter. You know, nothing overcomes a bad nutrition, and that kind of kind of stuck with me. But Michael, obviously, you you bought into that right about the same time you started playing tennis. It sounds like.
1: Yeah. I mean, you want to be thin. And just to, you know, as a male, I, I can tell you that when I was 260 pounds, driving a Jaguar, lots of money, you know, famous lawyer, everything, I had less attention from women than I do now, being 6'2", <laughs> 190 pounds, with twenty dollars in my pocket. And it's just the truth. That women just are drawn to tennis players. They're drawn to people that are in good shape. People are nicer to you. And it's just a better life. And losing weight is not as hard hardest people think like i like food my dad weighed 350 pounds i'm like i come from a family of food lovers but it just what i say to myself i still do is being thin feels better than the food tastes so when it's time to eat a pizza or a donut just remember being thin is going to feel better than that is going to taste for five minutes and then you just, you just eat healthy and it, just, it you see the weight coming off and you just feel better. It's just, it's just that's easy. People, oh, what what special diet you on? Nothing. I just ate salad and chicken and vegetables and fruits and like you think you would. No magic formula to it. And you exercise and you're playing tennis and it all makes sense. There's no magic formula to it. And... When I started playing, then I started playing competitively. And to me, the competitiveness
0: of a tennis match was very similar to a trial. With uh, you I with was going to ask you about that. There's a competitive nature to it. And it's also,
1: tennis is, a, they say it's a gentleman's sport where you call your own ball. If someone hits a ball, it's in on your side, you call it in. And that's just the way it is. You don't cheat. You just play honorably. And that's what law is also contrary to what people's opinion of lawyers are. It's a profession of honor. And and you, you do the best you can for your client and it's a one on one battle at trial with the DA. At the end of the trial you shake the DA's hands, whether your client goes to jail, you win or lose, and that's it. You're two gentlemen just, you know, huh. doing the best you Interesting. can at, at war. And so it's very similar. And really cases at the end of the day especially come a lot the one with the best lawyer usually wins that's just the way it is and tennis is the same way the better player wins and you can figure out a way to beat players that are better than you and you can figure out ways to make your own assets and talents and your own you know parts of your game that are advantageous manifest themselves and how do i get to my forehand against his backhand or his weaknesses here and it's a mental game as well as it's a physical game
0: so that's interesting because let's you know what i'm thinking now is you know i had some, uh, not a whole lot of matches but some matches that i really remember where i was down and out you know, maybe down a set, maybe down 5 1 or something, and, and came back and won that match. Is it? Can it be like that in the courtroom? Um, not as much. I mean, that particular aspect of it um, is not so much. Once you're losing a trial, once bad evidence comes in, it's hard to come back from I see. Of that. But, but the aspect of it
1: being a battle till the end and, you know, it's more obviously practicing law is more purely mental, but you have to stay focused and you have to be prepared. And same thing in tennis. you have to stay focused and you have to be prepared. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, besides skill level, yes, you have some higher skilled lawyers, but it's the one that puts in the more time and the higher effort and is really ready for it and focused on it a lot of the times wins and tennis is the same way as long as you're in the same skill set with someone you know you're not playing someone that played Davis Cup against someone that's you know a 3-5 player but if you're in the same town level if, you're, if I'm playing a tournament a four-zero tournament and there's 12 guys in it, and we're all 4 O's. for the most part, the one, especially in Florida in the summer, June, July, August, where it's 95, 96, and humid,
0: it's kind of the one that really wants it at the end of the day. And, and is in the win. best shape, I would say. Yeah, just all together, that's out there to win, It's just one who wants to get to that ball and hit it back, and is focused, and just tries the hardest, and, you know, just thinks the best, he's usually going to win. Interesting. The first 4-0 the first tournament I won Was down in
1: Flamingo Park In Miami Beach In August It was 107 degrees And I just told my girlfriend When we went down there That I'm going to win this thing honey. And I hadn't won a 4-0 tournament And I went through the whole draw And I kept just winning and winning and winning and I finally went to the finals And I played this kid, 27-year-old kid from Brazil And I just wanted it more than him and I just beat him seven, five, six, four, and I, I won it and I was just like that trophy, that four oh trophy, to me was more
0: valuable literally than any Jaguar I bought or What about winning a big lives, what yeah. about what about getting the guy off? What did it give you as much of a thrill as one of your uh, biggest victories? Or is that's real life there, where it, you're getting it, somebody it's off? the life uh, where you have some 18-year-old kid's life on the line, it's, it's much more right. emotionally grueling. You go home from a loss, your client goes to jail for life and sits in a cement box for life.
1: Uh. That's, that sticks with you a lot longer than, you know, a loss in a tennis match. You go home and you're okay. <laughs> Donald lost the other day. He's fine. He's practicing in Barcelona today. He didn't hang himself. You know, losing in a criminal case where your client goes to jail for 20, 40 years it takes a toll on you, and then you go home and say, "I should have done this. I should have done that." And it's very, very hard. It's it's very, very hard. And winning is is great, but it's not the
0: same because it's not you. Ver- like it, I don't know, it's hard hitting to get that shot, lighter. yeah. Yeah, it just you win a criminal trial and if a client gets found not guilty, you feel great and stuff, but it is what it is. It's your job to do it. Yeah. Whereas a tennis match, you can easily give up, and nobody, you
1: know, and nobody cares, but
0: you care. You right. Know? Right. Right. Well, that's interesting. What? So what? So, so Michael, you're you're playing about every chance you get in a tournament, aren't you? I mean, within reason.
1: Um, tournaments, I play probably two times a month they're grueling <laughs> they are grueling tournaments are grueling you're, you know from when the drug comes out
0: thursday to your first match saturday morning plus with the rain you're there all day and uh-huh. four matches you know i'm 54 years old
1: so i can't play them every weekend it's just too much so i play two two tournaments a week a month something
0: like that but i play tennis every day It's not tw- twice every day and, and and what do you what's what other than the benefits that you've told me, uh, get in a little bit about the social interaction for people that aren't out there playing in the leagues and the and just the pickup matches. What's the... the first
1: thing? The first thing I can say, and it's it's so simplistic, but it's so realistic, is that today I played a match with my friend Keon. He quote text me this morning, "What are you doing, Mango? Nothing. Let's play." I met him at his place, and we played from 12, 15 to 2, and we laughed, and we hit balls, and we literally had fun, mm-hmm. and that's such a simple word, but what, how else can a 54-year-old guy have fun, what, being on a yacht with women, and
0: mm-hmm. Bentleys, that's not fun to me, lobsters and steak, that's not fun, but we had fun like we
1: were 12-year-old kids, you know, having, playing basketball in the backyard, like legitimate fun, we were happy and laughing, and getting exercise it just provides so much enjoyment to me. It's so fun just hitting the ball and figuring out a way and making a great shot and, you know, just being out there and the beautiful sky and the sun's in your face. Like, there's nothing better, there's nothing I would rather have done this morning. Literally, if I had $18 billion, I would have been doing the same exact thing as I did today, playing with my friend. And just being out there and just phones are away. You leave your phone in your car and you just. It, Interacting with your friend and talking and being a human being and a person again, which is so hard to find in in society today. Everybody's always on their phone doing this and that. But you just Mm -hmm. get to interact and just like you and I became friends on the tennis court. Mm -hmm. Just talk to people and like you know just see how they are as a person on the court and that's usually a good indication of how they are in real life and just being out there and just you know driving to play until even though it meant nothing it was a fun match i was actually looking forward to it you know and just being out with my friend and seeing him hitting the balls and working on my serve and getting back and I was actually looking forward to it and like, you can't find that in life anymore it just I don't know what else I could be doing that I would have gone to there saying oh I'm really looking forward to this this is something going to be really fun for me and it's I have found the thing that really makes it fun and it was like that trying cases like but unfortunately up until the trial it's miserable going to court for calendar calls and going to meet with your client and you you know, sitting there and motion sharing and by the time you're trying the case, it's fun. It's great. Before you do your closing argument, that's great. That was enjoyable. You know, you get your heart pumping and everything's exciting, but I get that every day when I play.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And then, you know, on top of that, you've got to think of the, the physiological reaction that's going on in your brain and those bonding sites in your brain that are being stimulated with serotonin dopamine and all of that endorphins and, absolutely yeah the endorphins start going crazy and that's what you, you know i can't get that from running if i ran you know it's it's just not the same because tennis is different every point that you play and by the way mango i will be coming back there for a little tiebreaker action and i'll even you wear sneakers this time. I'll <laughs> you know, give you the benefit of sneakers. Okay? I mean, you know, that, I'm not that kind of guy. You can wear sneakers. That's funny because you had—I don't think you had any clue who I was, or we'd known each other or not. But we kind of I knew that peripherally. You were with Drew, if you were friends with Drew, I knew you were a pretty good damn good player. Okay. I can I tell. I can
1: tell anybody that wants to come and a with me, six foot two, me. Okay, looks like Nadal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny well and i guess you're getting back on the court today today but what's your what's what's your strategy for the rest of the year and and your tennis let's see you're 54 so you're going to be eligible for the age group uh 50 when do you turn 55 this year this year, this year. so you're I'm eligible playing now you can, playing age group tennis i have found is tough because now you're Fifteen over, and you get guys that are really, really, really good. Yeah, at yeah, and yeah, college, kind
1: of players, and
0: right. you know, it's those guys are just too good for, for me. And they've been playing their whole lives, and playing forty years. They play professionally. I just, you know, they serve at one ten. I'm, I just can't compete with them. And that's okay. That's yeah. why NTRP is so so useful, which is the
1: National Tennis. RP is the player ratings which you basically play you're, you're rated as your skill level you start out as a three O, then you go to 3-5 then you go to four O, which is good tennis then you go to 4-5 which is very good tennis um, you know most of these guys are 4-5 have been playing their whole lives and you play in your skill level I started off playing USTA as a 3-5 player I started at number 128 in Florida and I worked for a year played one, one, one came up at number like 20 in the state Then I won two tournaments in a row. I was number one in the state. And the state rankings come out every month. And it's so fun seeing your name up there, like number one in the state. And it was just great. And then I decided after about a year and a half of playing 3-5 that I wanted to play 4-0 tennis. And there's a big skill gap there. So I decided to play 4-0, and I got crushed for six months, didn't win a set, and I finally won my first set, then I won my first match, and then ten months later, I won my first to, I got to the finals of one this is actually a good story to talk about the honor of tennis I was in my 1st four-zero finals at Coral Springs and I really wanted to win so bad I'd been training hard taking lessons playing really wanted to win so bad and it was a late Sunday match finals I was playing this really nice guy was Michael Beaumont, and he's a good player four-zero player we were playing in the finals I beat him in the first set and he beat me in the second set so we we're playing a 10 point tiebreaker to win the whole thing and it's by two so we're playing the tiebreaker and it's 8-8 eight, eight in a tiebreaker he hits a ball deep to my backhand which he mis hit and he thought
0: the ball was out and I called it out because it looked out and I was going to go up 9-8 basically putting myself in a great position to win the thing yeah. and yeah. I walked over to the line and I saw that his ball had hit the end of the line and I told him Michael your ball was good to your point wow. and he was like what? And I'm like yep it was good dude your
1: point and he beat me 10 eight and I can promise you this that I drove home that day happier that I told him that the ball was in and it was his point and I lost than if I had won it and knew that I had cheated and that's what makes tennis great because I was okay with it
0: that's amazing I I wish I wish I'd Played guys like you in college—that's <laughs> that's for sure. But you know, I, I just I, I, the honorability—I love being
1: honest and just. You know, I just enjoy you know playing, and I never want to cheat at anything. It just doesn't doesn't make it fun. It's not worth it. I'm not playing for money. I'm not. Why cheat? What, what good is that going to do? I, at the end of the day, I'm going to know I cheated. So how good is that going to feel? Yeah, you know,
0: exactly. You're going to be like Judas, right. Judas with the thirty, the bag of silver. Yeah, right. that's that's a great story right there, and I'm glad to know that because I'm going to hit some on the back of the line and and check in hey, that always, in our I will, next time. Right. <laughs> well, listen, Michael, it's been great having you on the Chip and Gary tennis show. I'm sorry that uh, Chip's not here, but uh, maybe I can get him to drive up from Miami and have a little practice session with you one of these days. And uh, All right, as long as you're covered with health insurance, I'm happy to get on the court with you. <laughs> Well, listen. It's again. It's been a pleasure, and I, I can't wait to get over there. And we'll we'll maybe we'll play two out of three tiebreakers. That would be fun. That's good, my
1: friend. Anytime.
0: Thank you, Michael. Have a good time day. Bye.